When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The poem says, Human voices wake us, and we drown. But I've made this podcast with the belief that human voices are what we need. And so, whether from a year or 3,000 years ago, whether poetry or prose, whether fiction or diary or biography, here are the best things we have ever thought, written, or said. Over the years, I've sort of collected anecdotes about poets or writers and how they have dealt with the baffled reaction of their parents or their family, usually of their parents, uh, to what to just what it is that they're doing. And probably one of the best, one of the most eloquent, comes from Hart Crane. Now I wrote about this, the letter I'm about to read some time ago, and this is the introduction that I gave it. I still think it is uh, worth sharing. In early January of 1924, the poet Hart Crane, 24 years old and basically broke, received a letter from his father offering to hire him into the family business. To a friend, Hart Crane wrote, Along comes a letter from my father this morning, offering me a position with him as traveling salesman. This is unacceptable, of course, even though I now can't complete the rent on the room for the rest of the month and simply don't know what is going to happen. End quote. Here is the writerly temperament in miniature, preferring sincere penury to an insincere and time-consuming career. Hart Crane soon responded to his father, and I know of no better example of a writer trying to explain his vocation, to explain why, quote, the most important things to me in my life are some real thinking and writing, end quote, to a baffled and concerned friends and family. And I should say that uh, when I first read this letter, when I first read uh Langdon Hammer and Brom Weber's uh, really amazing uh, selection of Hartgrain's letters called Oh My Land, My Friends, I was roughly about the age uh, that Hart Crane was uh, when he wrote this letter to his father. Uh, Hart Crane died at the age of 32, however, and this year I will have outlived Hart Grain by 10 years. Uh, I remember Robert Lowell, I think in a poem, if not in conversation, referring to Hart Crane as the Shelley of his age, and because he uh, died by uh, because he died by suicide by drowning, uh, in a passage uh, that I hope to read sometime in the future. 
but it is worth saying now that uh, I've lived with this letter for about uh, uh, almost 20 years and that I am now a parent and that even though I've said some of the things in this letter that Hartgrane says to his father, even though I've said some of those things, I'm sure when I was 24 I said them to my parents, I do have some perspective on uh, maybe what it will be like in 20 years if my daughter says the same things to me. Uh, I'll be interested to see uh, what I make of this, what I make of the entirety of this letter. This is from Hart Crane to Clarence Arthur Crane, January 12th, 1924. And I should say that uh, at this time, as the letter says, Hart Crane was living at 45 Grove Street in New York City. And his father was still uh, living in Cleveland as a uh, sort of executive, if I imagine correctly. This is what Hart Crane says to his father. My dear father, your letter has been on the table for longer than I ex had expected. I had wanted to answer it more promptly in view of your real consideration in offering me such a favorable opportunity in your business. But I've been so altogether occupied since I came back from Woodstock and looking around here for a new position, interviewing people and answering advertisements, that there has been only the evenings when there was either someone in to call or I was too tired to write to you as I wanted. By all this you will probably have guessed that I don't find it practical to accept your offer, kind as it is. And beyond all that, I must also add in justice to both that it would also not be honest of me to do so either. I realize that in order to be understood in both the above reasons, it is necessary that I at least attempt to explain myself in more detail than I may have gone into with you ever before. And as that is rather an unwieldy process within the limits of a letter, I may only touch on a few points about myself and try to make them clear, leaving the rest to some later date when you may care to look me up in New York, provided I am here at your next visit. In what follows, Father, I hope that you will take my word for it, that there is no defense of my personal pride involved against any of the misunderstandings that we may have had in the past. I have come to desire to talk to you as a son ought to be able to talk to his father, that is, in a pure relationship, without prejudices or worldly issues interfering on either side. That was the basis of my first letter to you in three years, that I wrote a little over two months ago, and I hope it may be the basis of your interpretation of what I am writing you now. I, at least, am doing the most honest thing I know to do, and whatever I have said to you, and in whatever I may say to you since that time. That's a pledge from the very bottom of my heart. In your letter, you carefully advise me to turn a deaf ear to your offer, if I find my advertising work so absorbing, pleasant, and profitable, that I might in later time regret a transfer into so widely divergent an enterprise as your business. You were perfectly right in presupposing that I had a 
considerable interest in this sort of work, for in less than three years I had got into the largest agency in the world, and was, to all outward appearances, very much engrossed in carrying myself through to a highly paid and rather distinguished position. But, but if there had been any chance to tell you before, I should have stated to you I had no interest in advertising beyond the readiest means of earning my bread and butter, and that as such an occupation came nearest to my natural abilities as a writer, I chose it as the quickest and easiest makeshift known to me. Perhaps in view of this it will be easier for you to see why I left my position at J. Walter Thompson's at the last of October. Remember this letter, is be, it was written uh, about three and a half months later in early January. Uh, at the last of October, unwise as such an action would be understood from the usual point of view, I went to the country in Woodstock because I had not had a vacation for several years, was rather worn with the strain of working at high speed as one does in such a high-geared agency, and above all because I wanted the precious time to do some real thinking and writing, the most important things to me in my life. The director of the copy department asked me to see him when I came back to New York, but he has not returned yet from out of town, and I don't know whether or not I shall return there. I told Grace, Grace is the name of Hart Crane's mother, I told Grace that they had asked me to return definitely, because I didn't want her to worry about me. She has enough worries as it is, but so much for that. I think, though, from the above, that you will now see why I would not regard it as honest to accept your proposition, offered as it was in such frankness and goodwill. I don't want to use you as a makeshift when my principal ambition and life lies completely outside of business. I always have given the people I worked for my wages worth of service, but it would be a different sort of thing to come to one's father and simply feign an interest in fulfilling a confidence when one's mind and guts aren't driving in that direction at all. I hope you credit me with genuine sincerity, as well as the appreciation of your best motives in this statement. You will perhaps be righteously a little bewildered at all these statements about my enthusiasm, about my writing, and my devotion to that career and life. It is true that I have to date very little to show as actual accomplishment in this field, but it is true, on the other hand, that I have had very little time left over after the day's work to give to it, and I may have just as little time in the wide future still to give it to. Be all this as it may, I have come to recognize that I am satisfied and spiritually healthy only when I am fulfilling myself in that direction. It is my natural one, and you will possibly admit that if it had been artificial or acquired, or merely a youthful whim, it would have been cast off some time ago in favor of more profitable occupations from the standpoint of monetary returns. For I have been through some pretty trying situations, and, indeed, I am in just such a one again at the moment, with less than 
two dollars in my pocket and not definitely located in any sort of job. However, I shall doubtless be able to turn my hand to something very humble and temporary as I have done before. I have many friends, some of whom will lend me small sums until I can repay them, and some sort of job always turns up sooner or later. What pleases me is that so many distinguished people have liked my poems, seen in magazines and manuscript, and feel that I am making a real contribution to American literature. There is Eugene O'Neill, dramatist and author of Anne Christie, Emperor Jones, The Hairy Ape, etc., Waldo Frank, probably the most distinguished contemporary novelist, and others like Alfred Stieglitz, Gaston Lachaise, the sculptor who did the famous Rockefeller tomb at Terrytown, and the stone frescoes in the telephone building, and Charlie Chaplin, who is a very well-read and cultured man in real life. I wish you could meet some of my friends, who are not the kind of, quote, Greenwich villagers, end quote, that you may have been thinking they were, if I am able to keep on in my present development, strenuous as it is, you may live to see the name Crane stand for something where literature is talked about, not only in New York, but in London and abroad. You are very busy these, you are a very busy man these days, and I as well appreciate from the details in your letter and I have perhaps bored you with these explanations about myself. Your sympathies so engaged me as they are, so much in other activities, and your mind filled with a thousand and one details and obligations which clamored to be fulfilled, nevertheless. As I have said before, I couldn't see any other way than to frankly tell you about myself and my interests, so as not to leave any accidental afterthought in your mind that I had any personal reasons for not working in the Crane Company. And in closing, I would like to just ask you to think sometime. Try to imagine working for the pure love of simply making something beautiful, something that maybe can't be sold or used to help sell anything else, but that is simply a communication between man and man a bond of understanding and human enlightenment, which is what a real work of art is. If you do that, then maybe you will see why I am not so foolish after all to have followed what seems sometimes only a faint star. I only ask to leave behind me something that the future may find valuable, and it takes a bit of sacrifice sometimes in order to give the thing that you know is in yourself and worth giving. I shall make every sacrifice toward that end. Affectionately, your son. Uh, it can never be just one thing, can it? Uh, it's not, I can't say, wow, I completely agree with this 24-year-old and what he's doing and what he said. And I can't say, wow, I'm no longer 24 and I want to tell that kid something about what happens between the age of 24 and 42 or what can happen. Uh, it's somewhere in the middle and I think for the sake of brevity and 
for the sake of letting Hart Crane speak for himself, I will leave those future comments for the future. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to Human Voices Wake Us, the number one, at gmail.com. Links to each work used in this episode can be found in the episode description. If you enjoy Human Voices Wake Us, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. The music here is Duke Ellington's Arabesque Cookie.